Hey guys, I'm Megan. I'm Dana. And this is Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. Hi, Dana. Hey, Megan. How are you doing this fine week? I'm doing pretty great. I'm doing, I'm feeling a lot better. I have been having like these stomach aches off and on, and I don't know like what the heck they're from, but I think it might be from this new multivitamin that I started taking. See, I was taking my multivitamin before. Mm -hmm. I was actually taking a men's multivitamin (laughs) because... Ray's was the only one that was around and I didn't mm-hmm. want to go out and buy a new one. So I yes. his, and I was feeling great. Unfortunately, your body is built differently. I know. Dana, I know. I realized that. And I was also trying to, what's the word? Like, even it out by taking the iron that I'm sure it didn't have as much of. No, probably not, yeah. And I was taking like quadruple the amount of iron that I should have been taking. Oh, no. And I was like, why does my stomach hurt so bad? So then finally, I got gentle iron and a lower dosage. And then also, I got a women's multivitamin. But well, just that gives me like a stomach ache. Are you taking it on an empty stomach? No. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that gives me a stomach ache. That gives me the urge to use the restroom oh yes but anyways besides that i'm (laughs) wonderful how about you i mean for the first time in forever i mean knock on wood i feel like i'm like not sick since like november of last year i mean spring is here so it's frigid though it was like in the 40s today even though it's april wow that is cold i know i know we're in massachusetts and we do have you know colder climate but still, it's a little bit chilly. And also, can I just say that I'm really proud of us because this is episode 23, which I know isn't like a huge number, but we st- we we're, we have an idea and we're sticking with it, you know? Yeah. In sickness and in health. <laughs> That's great. So nice. It is. And I mean, like, I was, today I was because I'm on some new medication, so I was like taking it easy. All about meds, all about meds today. So I was feeling a little like down in the dumps that I didn't like do all that I wanted to do because today I had a day off of work and I wanted to get a whole bunch done, and I got like a huge chunk of like work done, but still. But I was like, you're feeling better though. You're not coughing every five seconds anymore, which had been like the my like daily thing even though I wasn't sick anymore I was still like clearing out of my system like I've been to the doctor for a physical and I went to the doctor for like this the ear infection but I was like finally you know it's like finally getting on the good vibe so yeah and I'm feeling good and I'm just like happy because I feel like with spring coming we Abby and I always say that March is the longest month in Massachusetts because you think that it should be 
the end of like winter, but it's still going on. So we're finally like through that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, April's coming up. May have a big, a lot of big changes with my work schedule and life schedule. So I am trying to look on the positive with that. Yeah. Just to like be like, okay, everything's good. And so I felt like today was like a nice balance to try to figure out how I can find that balance in my day life because some days you're going to have plans that you're going to want to do and life's going to be like, mm, those aren't the plans we're having today, unfortunately. And you got to like kind of go with the flow. Yeah, that's right. You do. And you're doing a good job of that. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to hear your topic this week because we did talk earlier this week because I was nervous that we could have a similar topic. I don't know why. We used to tell Abby our topic. And I was like, have you, do you tell Abby your topic yet? And I was like, and you said, no, I didn't say no, we don't have the same topic. And I was like, you can't be that sure. But then you said it was an inherently Megan topic. So I'm very excited to see what, what consists of a Megan topic for you. Yes. Well, I shall tell you then. So my topic for this week is deathbed visions. And this topic we've touched on a little before, but today I really wanted to delve into the phenomena that is dead death visions. This is an experience that someone has when they're nearing death. A lot of the times it occurs just before death, but can also happen days before the transition as well. Now, my question for you, I'm sorry for interrupting. My question for you, are you... (laughs) I'm laughing because I almost chose a very similar topic. Oh, I had been looking into hospice care and things like that. And I've been either reading something or listening to something. And they were talking about how so many times when people are near death, they're like, oh, my, you know, I see Joe. He's here for me. I was like, that'd be such an interesting topic to cover. So I literally almost like was that same thing or had exactly the same topic. Yeah. I would have done that one. Or I was also toying with what people experience like in comas, like coma type thing. Uh huh. Or the people like, I think you you covered parts of it before, like people who have had an out of body experience and things like that. So yeah, literally love all those topics they're so interesting to me I know so I'm very excited so you know I'm really excited for this for this topic if I was thinking about it earlier this week right yeah but so yeah like like you were saying that the topic that I have a lot of the people that are on the verge of death they usually see somebody or you know someone in the room with them that's unseen by those nearby According to this article in Psychology Today, written by Marilyn Mendoza, PhD, Marilyn shares through her research that 57% of the visions were that of a deceased family member. Mothers seem to be seen the most, followed by angels and other religious figures. I feel like the mother's one is like, I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out of this world. You know, you always hear that uh, threat from moms, but like in the sweet way. Oh, I brought you in. God. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I thought of the way you said it sounded sweet. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then this part almost made me ball. Sometimes people will even see their deceased pets. I heard. Oh. Yeah. And I can only imagine like the joy and reassurance that someone must feel 
by seeing, you know, their their pet. They're like, I'm here to, I'm here. They they were comfort in life. Stop. Yeah. And then Marilyn goes on to explain that these experiences for the person dying are serene and comforting. It's not a scary experience. But what exactly are these encounters? Are they no more than a hallucination produced by the human brain? Sort of like a last ditch effort in erasing whatever fear we had left towards the impending monumental shift about to take place? Or is it a truly transcendental experience? Something we've yet to fully conceptualize. I certainly do not have the answers. And at the moment, nobody really does. But what we do have are stories of experiences people have during these elusive moments. And here are a few of those stories. I'm excited. My mother had been in and out of hospitals over the last year, near death at each admission. She was coherent and, and not delusional. She had congestive heart failure and lung and kidney cancer spreading throughout her body. One morning in the hospital room, about 2 a.m., when all was quiet, my mother stared out the door of her room and into the hall that led to the nurse's station and the other patients' rooms. Mama, what do you see? I asked. Don't you see them? She said. Sorry, I heard something. I got scared when you said that. I said, don't you see what? <laughs> I heard this really weird sound outside. And, like, as soon as I said it, and it freaked me out. Anyways, sorry. Don't you see them, she said. They walk the hall day and night. They're dead. She said this with quite calmness. The revelation of these state of this statement might send fear into some. Yeah, I was gonna cry. I was like, if no, I'm like, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. But this girl said that her and her mother had actually had spiritual visions before. Okay, this wasn't something that was scary to them. Okay, so this statement was not a shock for me to hear or for her to see. This time, however, I did not see them. Her surgeon said that was no that there was no point in treatment as the cancer had spread throughout her body. He said she might have six months to live at the most, maybe three months. I brought her home to die. The night of her passing, she was restless and anxious. A few minutes before 8 p.m., she said, I have to go. They're here. They're waiting for me. Her fate her face glowed and the color returned to her pale face as she attempted to raise herself and stand up. Her last words were, I have to go. It is beautiful. And then she passed at 8 p.m. Several months later, my alarm clock set for 6 p.m., which was broken and had no batteries in it, went off at 8 p.m. I could feel the presence of my mother and her amusement at achieving such a task and mm -hmm. my attention. A year and two months to the day of my mother's transformation, she appeared standing in my kitchen as whole, healthy, young. I was surprised knowing she was dead, but so happy to see her. We embraced in a hug and I said, I love you. And then she was gone. She had come back to say a final goodbye 
and let me know that she was happy and okay. I know my mother is finally home and at peace. That's so sad. I know. These are all kind of sad, but also kind of comforting. Yeah, I like, I really enjoyed the tangible aspect of that last one. How she literally got to, like, touch her. I know, and I've never heard that before. So that was interesting, too. The next one is a very short one, and... This one is very sad too. More sad, probably. To my, yeah. Sorry. It's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> sad stories to tell your sisters. I know. I know. What a downer I am. Sorry. No, it's okay. But, I, 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 I think. I think it's such an interesting topic. So it is. It's interesting, and also, even though it is a sad moment in life, it does provide some sort of comfort in knowing that these people are not alone in this final moment. Yeah. And regardless of what you think, it's like they have this like comfort and this awe that's happening there, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right. My mother was born in 1924 and her brother was born a few years before her. I don't know exactly the year, but when he was a little two-year-old baby, he caught scarlet fever and was dying. His mother was rocking him on the front porch when suddenly he reached both his arms up as if to be held by somebody. There was no one there and said, Mama, the angels are here for me. At that moment, he died in her arms. Megan. I know. I, you said it was going to be sad. I was not prepared. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I know that one was like so touching. They're here for me. It was the reaching. I know, Dana. But he sounded so at peace with it because he said, the angels are here for me. Yeah, he wasn't afraid. Right. Oh. Okay. On to the next one. Cool. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Dana. It's okay. Do you need a moment? No, I'll be fine. Back in 1979, I moved in with my dying father. One morning, I was making him breakfast, and he seemed very upset. I asked him what was wrong, and he said, they came to get me last night, and pointed (laughs) towards the ceiling. Stupid me, I asked, who? He got extremely upset and yelled at me, pointing to the ceiling. They came to get me. I didn't say anything, but watched him continuously. From that night on, he wouldn't sleep in his... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Because I'm picturing, like, like somebody like Dad, like, pissed off. Like, leave me alone. You like, know? what do you think? Who do you think? Are you idiot? <laughs> Stupid ass. <laughs> From that night on, he wouldn't sleep in his room. He always slept on the couch. I would put my children to bed and then sit with him and watch the TV. We would talk, and then right in the middle of our conversation, he'd look up, wave his hand, and say, Go away. No, not yet. I'm not ready. This went on for three months before he died. My father and I were extremely close, so when he contacted me by automatic writing, I wasn't surprised. He just wanted to say he was all right. One more thing. He died at 7 a.m., the night I was all alone in his home, 
Oh. Or that night, I was all alone in his home. I lit a big candle, put it in, put it on the end table, and lay down on the couch and cried myself to sleep. I felt so close to him there. The next morning, when I awoke, the candle sat three feet away on the carpet floor. By the look of the burn hole on the carpet right below the end of the table, the candle had fallen and started a fire. To this day, I don't know how it was put out or how the candle got moved to the doorway between the living room and the kitchen. But I suspect it was my dad. He saved my life that night and his home from burning up in a fire. Well, that's terrifying. <laughs> I'm giving you all the emotions tonight. Right? I was like, oh, i of daddy. Oh, God. I was like, don't follow that candle on. I'm so afraid of leaving anything like plugged in or burning i literally have had my my apartment managers i've had an email i'm like hey you have permission please enter my apartment and make sure my my straighteners unplugged no yeah no dana mm-hmm. oh my god it's never what I, I said, oh, my God, I never even thought about that, that, that. That's something that you could do, you know? Yeah, I literally, I, I, I'm like, hey, it's me again. And I came down, I came down today with Ferris, and they're like, you gotta, you gotta put a note somewhere, Dana. And I was like, <gasps> no, Dana. no, I know I do. Abby tells me to take pictures of the plug, so I'm not plugged in. <laughs> that is so funny. Hold on. Mm. Do I know something weird? Yeah. Do you know how I have my ice cream? With some water. That's disgusting. It doesn't have to be. Well, you're, well are you going to laugh when I tell you how I have my ice cream? Yeah. You're going to say, you think water's disgusting? I get vanilla ice cream and I drizzle it with olive oil and crushed salt. Tina, I just heard about this. I'm going to hold. Is it delicious? It's so good. I made mom try it when she was here. Did she like it? She said, that's very interesting. (laughs) I really want to try it. Like, I want to try it, but I don't think I'm going to love it like you. Well, I'm obsessed with it. I literally have it like a scoop of ice cream. That's my treat with olive oil and and crushed sea salt. Mm, That sounds sounds interesting. I definitely want to try that. I literally, I literally went to an ice cream, went out to ice cream and I had olive oil and jam. They had olive oil and jam ice cream. And I was like, that's it. There we go. Oh, they had it there wherever you mm-hmm. went? Oh, wow. It was really good. So I tried that, the viral ice cream thing that was like whatever kind of ice cream. It could be like a sherbet or whatever. I had it with orange and then. You say sherbet. How did you say that word? Sherbet. Isn't it sherbet? No, there's no R at the end. No. I swear to God. I know what you're doing. I know you're looking it up. It's true. Are you looking it up? Megan. <laughs> okay. 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 Sherbet. All often referred to as Sherbert. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think Sorry. <laughs> Sherbert. You know. That delicious, creamy... I thought I always thought it was like non-dairy, but there's dairy in it. Is there? The one that I had had dairy in it. 
which I didn't. <laughs> Dude, I'm just blowing your mind tonight. I know. We're getting off track real easy. I'm sorry for your near-death experience. No, but I tried the one with the sherbet and the... Fruit roll-up. Fruit roll-up. Oh, my God. I loved it. I, loved I haven't it. I haven't tried that one yet. Dana, you will love it. You will love it. It is surprisingly delicious. Does it have a good crunch? It sure does. It ah. does. It has the crunch that you want it to have. <gasps> you know. I had angry toes. I was like, I need to, I need to have that good... That good yeah, like, my toes, my toes curled too. They were like uh, angry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Robin, well, you're welcome for all of this. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how we got sidetracked to ice cream, but we're going to move on now. <laughs> I have a story by a fella named Keith. I've been a social worker in hospice service since 1983. I originally worked as a psychiatric technician to help pay my way through school. But I never realized how much the training would later help in my career. I remember my first job working in an adolescent facility. Basically, it was for those who couldn't make it at home. The staff of the psychiatrist and psychologist would meet me with the teens daily. But the techs, like me, worked in the dorms day in and day out. Sorry, he did not meet with them. The psychologist and psychiatrist met with the teens. Okay. After I earned my master's degree, I found out that a professional organization was looking for a recent grad who wanted to work in hospice. And I decided I was up for the challenge. So in an interesting turn of events, I went from caring for lively, rambunctious teens to those preparing for death. Although I never imagined ending up in hospice, it turned out to be the best place I've ever worked. Every day, I've seen and learned new things. I remember one particular patient, a woman named Maria, who was in her late 80s. She was dying of metastatic breast cancer and had been unresponsive for the last 24 hours. In fact, she hadn't said a word at all during the previous week. But suddenly she became alert and began speaking in Czech as she pointed at several objects in her room. Maria's two daughters were amazed because they hadn't heard their mother speak in her native language for many years. I was going to say, does she even speak Czech? Oh, that would be terrifying. (laughs) Since they couldn't understand it, they called one of their aunts to come over and interpret. They were concerned that their mother might be in pain or was trying to tell them something important before she died. Finally, Aunt Anna arrived. Hey! (laughs) A little frail herself, she sat down to hear what her older sister was saying. A strange look came across her face as she explained, Maria is talking to people in our family who have already died. Cool. But it's more than just talking. She can see them. Is that why she keeps pointing and looking in the corner of the room? The corner of the room. Sorry. Does she know who she's seeing? One daughter asked. I'm not so sure about this. Maybe mom is hallucinating or having some type of psychiatric issue caused by the medication. I used to work in a psychiatric unit for... I used to work in a psychiatric unit for adolescents, I told the family. I don't believe that Maria is hallucinating or experiencing any mental issues. She looks very peaceful. 
Anna, who was still listening to her sister talking, said, it's our mother and grandparents. She's really happy to see them again. And she's speaking Czech because they don't know any English. It was amazing to watch this once unresponsive woman suddenly become animated and lively. It was also heartwarming to know how happy and relieved Maria's daughters were. When I started in hospice, I was skeptical of deathbed visions and anything that referred to the afterlife. But the more I've heard about these stories and have even been in the room with many of my own patients as they were visited by deceased loved ones, it makes me question my own spirituality and religious upbringing. Accepting the truth has been a growth experience. The fact that visions bring comfort to so many reminds me that not everything can be seen or logically explained. Ooh. It's so funny. I don't think I told you that I was thinking about going into hospice care. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's just a thing that I was th- thinking about, like, a little bit lately. So I was like, this is such a oh, fort- really? weirdly timed thing. Wow, Dana. Maybe it's a sign. Don't tell Abby. Also, I have I have a couple of other stories. Yeah, go ahead. But I figured maybe I'll save those just for time's sake. And, you know, if we want to hear more of these stories, we can in the future. What do you okay. think? Okay. Yeah. But Either I, way is awesome. Those are really good. I enjoyed those ones a lot. Oh, good. I'm glad. I just wanted to finish this off, though, with a little poem that I read from Lily's Abound. Or Lily's Abounded. I'm sorry. I don't know if this is a book or, or if this is just somebody's. I found it on Pinterest. So it says, I hope death is like being carried to your bedroom when you were a child and fell asleep on the couch during a family party. I hope you can hear the laughter from the next room. I love that one. I love it so much. It's like that, like that comfort of like, it reminds me of like being, yeah, when you're like, you hear it still, you're like, okay, I'm okay falling asleep. You're like safe. Right. Ugh. And you're carried to the next room. Ugh. That's it. You're just carried over there. You know, you can still hear them. You're safe. Ugh. Well, Megan. That was fantastic. I appreciate that very much. So, thank you. Did I hear yours? Okay. So, my topic hits close to home in more ways than one. So, we're going back to September 1st, which was Labor Day weekend in 1969. We're in Berkshire County, which is an area in the western part of my state of Massachusetts. And if you look at the map, it's very close to the border of like both Massachusetts, Connecticut, like Northern Connecticut and Eastern New York. So they're all very close to each other in this area. Now on this night, there were over 200 reported sightings of a UFO in the vicinity. And today I'm going to talk about some of the most famous of the sightings of that UFO, as well as the possible abductions that took place over this one evening in 1969. I'm thrilled. So, there's a couple people. <clears throat> I'm going to give you their names on the on the beginning here. And we're going to talk about all of their cases. There's like Jane Green. There's Tom Warner. There's Thomas, Michael, and Nancy Reed. There's Melanie Kirch, Kirchdorfer and Jane Shaw. We're, so there's a lot of similar names. So I, I have a list at the top. So I can always go back and tell you again. Yeah. So Jane Green... <clears throat> On September 1st, she was driving home 
to Great Barrington, Massachusetts from Stockbridge, which is about 15 to 20 minutes drive away. She's driving with her friend Mary, and it's about dusk. It's getting dark. And suddenly, ahead on the road, she sees a bunch of lights up ahead. And she's thinking, okay, there must be – she's thinking it to herself and saying it out loud. There must have been an accident, and these are the first responders here with the, the lights and sirens. But then it gets to the point where she's approaching, and she can't even see clearly at all because of the intensity of the lights. So she pulls over. And as she pulls over, she sees the car in front of her has also pulled over as well because as she and Mary get out of the car, they see why the car in front of her has pulled over as well. There's a huge object that's floating overhead. She said it's huge and that from like side to side, she couldn't see where it ended. And she said there's something like huge bright lights. She said... There was no visible markings on it. There's like no windows, no like she's like I can't tell you what color it was, but I can tell you that it was huge and silent. Ooh, there was like no sound of motors, like nothing like that. And she said within seconds of standing there, it lifted up and over the mountains and went away. And so that happened then. Okay. Goodness, can you imagine seeing something huge making no, like you imagine, I don't know, I just think of something being so big that it would definitely have to have some sort of like audible motor. That's a thing, yeah. And also to to produce that light of such magnitude thing, you'd think like you hear, you hear electricity, Megan, you think you'd hear the buzzing of the lights, you know? Yes. So... Meanwhile, so Mary's still in her car. Meanwhile, across the way, a little further down the road, over the mountains, is a little boy named Tommy Warner. And it's September. It's hot still here. And what he would do to keep cool and keep busy is he would go over to his neighbor's house, to the Shaw's house. And he would go there and he would, like, play and have fun and the older sister would often be like teach him how to color color in the lines that's how like he was like 12 i think or like maybe younger than that so he was young enough to be like here's you know have fun in the summertime but you're coloring that's your fun you know yeah um and the time is passing by and all of a sudden he is like near the window and he hears a voice in his head that says you need to go home right now oh my god he hears a voice in his head yeah and he said it scared the daylights out of him which i mean is totally understandable because i know we all have like a voice in our head and we talk things through and if not i have more questions (laughs) but we know the voice in our head we like we know like when you're thinking things through like that you know it but this is another voice. It's commanding him. And as an adult, I would have burst into tears. But if I was a small trial child, I know I would have had a lifetime of trauma with this. Oh, yeah. Um, so he says to Debbie, one of the, there's like, it's Debbie and I think Jane Shaw. He says, Debbie, I have to go home. And he's saying it with such urgency that she, she's like, why? And he said, I don't know. Maybe God is talking to me from those clouds. And 
Hello? Sorry. What was that noise? Me saying, oh. Oh. <laughs> he said, God. So he said, maybe, and then he, but he's like afraid. He's terrified. And he just busts from the door. And mind you, the way he described this, because this is actually from an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that I got like a lot of these interviews from. I was got a couple articles, but when he describes this, the way he says, the way he moved, I could only picture the time when I was sleepwalking as a child and I burst into your room and told you and our child and our childhood friend and a friend now, Amanda, and I said, Megan, you only have six maps or seven, you have to come under. Mm-hmm. It felt like that aspect. So he's saying he books it through the door. He's running full speed, and he says he doesn't know if it's the fear from the telepathic communication urging him or the energy that's having, but just this incredible need to get home. But he's saying it feels like he's flying. Oh, my God. Except as Debbie and Jane Shaw are coming out of the house to find him, he's running in place. (gasps) Oh, my God. Like, from that day on, I was running in place. He's running in place for a good amount of time. And he's saying that it felt like he's feeling that something's wrong. I'm not getting there. But he can't fully grasp what's happening in the moment. And then he says he looks over to his left. And when he's looking over to his left, he spots a rock. And then he sees... Right behind the rock, the field, he sees a UFO appearing. And it produces a beam of light. And when that beam hits him, it says his uh, his hands jerked backwards. And it felt like the air was sucked out of him. Oh, my God. You know, whatever, and the way you described it and the way it was kind of shown is like quintessential when you think of someone getting stuck in an alien beam. Oh, God. Like that, like, arch back, hands pinned back. Oh, yeah, I can picture it perfectly, and I could almost feel the air sucked out of me. Yeah, so he's feeling that, and... Jenny is looking at him too and she's saying in one moment the light's washing over him and the next moment both the light and Tommy are gone oh god oh my god now we're gonna step away from Tommy for a little bit we're gonna come back to him and Mary don't worry and Jane all these things are happening like almost in a pattern okay okay and if you look at a map, I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, it all kind of seems to happen along the same corridor almost, like bouncing back and forth along this corridor. Okay. So, now a little over two miles southeast from where Tommy was is a place called Lake Mansfield. And this is where Melanie Kirchdorfer and her family were. Melanie was saying in an interview, she was talking about how she's like, it's summertime. She's like, I was like 12 or 13. And she's like, my best friend would be like, oh, could like sneak cigarettes from her mom. And I was like, oh, I want this. Her parents like, no, no, we're going to get ice cream as a family and go to the lake. And she's like, oh, fine. So they're going to the lake. 
They get the ice cream at the local Dairy Queen, which I feel is how her scenario is how I feel like that it would be me stumbling onto a UFO because Abby and I like to get like Dairy Queen or other drive through treats and like park near lakes or even cemeteries and like have our windows down and eat the treats and like talk about everything and nothing at all. Mm-hmm. But for the Kirchdorfer family, there was no time for idle chit-chat because her father backs into the space near the lake. And all of a sudden, she says, like, this bright light, this, like, aura of light fills the back window. And her father's like, what the, what the fuck is that? And her mom's like, don't, don't, don't curse. And the kids are screaming because they're freaking out. And her dad is you in this situation because like she's screaming she's me her dad says oh we gotta chase this thing (laughs) i'm with the dad and melanie is with dana and begging him not to she's like please don't do this please don't do this and her mom's saying it's probably just a shooting star which my question is have you ever seen a shooting star Right? What? Um, have you been burned alive by a shooting star? If it's close enough to like, like get that light there, you know. Do you remember um, the, the thing that we saw, Dina? The green light. Yes, that might have been a shooting star, maybe. I don't. But think it, sorry, I think it was like a, a, I don't know, a meteor or something. A meteor. Yeah, it, that makes more sense. This does not. No. So they are. Her father's insisted on chasing it. Meanwhile. Melanie and her sister are in the back seat. They are shaking, shivering with like fear and nerves. And it's from that point on that her sister has no more memory of that night. Oh. But Melanie recalls levitating off the ground and then being in a strange ship. Oh my God. And Melanie says, in this ship, she's in this room filled with a bunch of other young children, including herself. And she's looking around and she's watching them all disappear (gasps) one by one by one. And she's freaking out and she doesn't recognize anyone. But... She was recognized by someone else. No. You know, Tommy? Yes. Tommy said he saw her next to him and that he remembers that look of terror, like what the hell is happening in her eyes. He says he will never forget that as she was crouched down next next to him. Now, she doesn't recall seeing him at all. And they even said... She was older than him, and he was younger than her. They didn't run in the same circles at all. And when they met later in life, they were like, I know you. Oh, my God. And she's like, it was like, we knew each other. And we're like, he's like, she's like he's like my brother now type person. Like, yeah. like yeah. she's like, they. it wasn't like, oh, I know. It wasn't like me being like, oh, I saw Rachel. It's like someone you know forever in a day. It's like, no, no. It's like me saying... I saw Abby as a child. Someone you knew, but not really, you know? Yeah. So, she she doesn't recall seeing him at all. But what she does remember is next thing she knows, she's watching the kids go one by one by one. And then she 
is the one that's gone. And then she's on the lake of the shore. Shore of the lake. I'm sorry. She is now on the shore of the lake. Except she's alone. There's no car. There's no family. There's nothing. She has to walk home. Oh my gosh. Where's her family? Do they not know that she was gone? Right? Can you imagine being in the car with like me, mommy, and daddy and, and like and seeing something strange? And while we're pursuing it against my will, all of this happens, and then you're just alone on the lake's edge. I would be crying at that point. I'd be crying <laughs> now. <laughs> like, she's 12. <gasps> you know? That is so scary. I don't know what time it is. It, did you say it was dusk? It was nighttime. Oh, that would be terrifying, Dana. Right? So she's brought back, brought back to the lake. And in the episode, they they never really talked about, like, what happened as she walked home. Her sister, like, always believed her, she said. Mm-hmm. Her sister had no, like, her parents remembered, like, what happened. But I don't think they have, like, memory of what happened, like, post the light thing. But, like, she remembers that. And then Tommy said the next thing he remembers, it's, like, he was being laid down in a field. And he's, like, getting dropped out. Like, he said... So he describes it in this Unsolved Mysteries. So he's like, yeah, it's like you put a baby down. And then he, like, flops his body down on the ground. Like, I think I put a baby down that way. I was like, to each their own, Tommy. So he's on the floor on the field. And the beam of light is still on him at this point. And he hears the voice of his brother behind him saying, run. And he physically can't he's saying i can't i can't move because the beam of light still has him like pinned in place i have a question his brother mm-hmm. was with him before i don't know if his when he said this is like was your brother at the house with you i don't know okay exactly okay it wasn't i don't know if he heard the voice of his brother being like like someone like run i it was not clear to me what happened but what was clear to me was he's on the field the beam of life the beam of light is holding him in place still. Okay. And the voice in his head, the 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 commanding voice says, I'll be done in a minute. Oh, okay. I'll be done. And <laughs> I'm torn. That, that, is not, that does not comfort me. Right. I'm like, can you be done now? Or can I not be aware of this minute? Why do you put me back down on the ground if you're not done with me? Thank you very much. <laughs> And, like, I'm torn between being, like, it was being sassy or, like, uh, in a minute. Or, like, a parent being, like, I'll be with you in a minute. Calm down, you know? Right. Uh, And I don't know. The tone wasn't properly conveyed for me in this interview. But what was conveyed was the beam of the voice were right. And when the minute passed, Tom was able to roll over to the side and watch as the beam of light and everything else simply vanished. Wow. And the Shaw sisters said that basically this whole ordeal, the beam taking him, him running in place, the beam taking him and it dropping him back onto the field nearby was about seven minutes total. So the sibling friends, they remember too? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they remember seeing him disappear. <laughs> now we're going to Sheffield Bridge, which is a little further south. And this is where Nancy... Her mother and her two sons, Matthew and Thomas Reed, 
are driving home. They went to dinner that night at the diner that she owned. And they're going home now. And it was a stressful day. It was a hot day. And they have to, they're going to the Sheffield Bridge, which is a covered bridge. Okay. And Thomas is the older son. And he's trying to give something to his younger brother. And his grandmother overhears it. And she's like, no, 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 don't do that. It's a choking hazard. Don't give it to him. And as she's, like, turning around to tell him, don't do that in the, in the station wagon, she sees that there's a light that's rising from the back of the river that they're driving over and, like, over the bridge. And as they exit the bridge, Nancy says she sees what looks like a light bulb hovering in the sky. And as it's rising higher, it's producing these beams of light and... The younger, the younger brother, Matthew, is looking further off to the right to this like glowing orange, like pulsating object. And as they're driving, they're saying the pressure is changing around them and it's getting really heavy. And so they pull over to the side of the road to get a look at it again. And they're like, where to go? And then it's above them. And as they're staring at this, the entirety of their other car lights up. They said, like, the floodlights filled it up. And they said, as the lights filling the car, everything around them went silent. As, like, and their windows are down. It's a summer night, a hot summer night. And there's no noise at all. And then, all of a sudden, a cacophony of like crickets, cicadas, frogs, all of those animals start coming back. And then they lose three hours of time. Three hours? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That is a heck of a lot of time. The next thing Nancy remembers is that she's coming to in front of the drugstore and... She and her mother had somehow switched spots and the ignition was turned off. But the thing was, the grandmother never drove. What? Mm hmm. Wow. So Thomas said he thinks that, and I'm, I, I agree as well, that he thinks it was meant to go unnoticed that. They had taken them, but they made a mistake and switched the placements of the adult women. Wow. They That's switched their Funny, pl- because, like, we consider them to be highly intelligent and, mm-hmm. like, more intelligent than, like, humans. Yeah. But, like, they still make mistakes, too. It's like, damn it, couldn't you have just remembered she was driving? Right. Okay. So, they're there. Meanwhile, Jane, from the beginning, Jane and Mary, who saw it on the road, remember? Yeah. She's shaken up. So she drives back into town, and she gets out of the car with Jane, Mary, and she's like, what was that? And they go into their family store, her family store, and they ask her husband, like, what do we do? And he says, you should go down to the radio station and report it there. And so her and Mary 
go down to the, report, the station and they report it to a man named Tom J, who was the radio's director at the time. And Tom laughs at them and says, you and Mary must have been drinking too much again. You probably just saw swamp gas. And two things. How much fun did Jane and Mary get into that Tom's like, again? And also, watch yourself, Tom. And secondly, why do people always say things like swamp gas? Oh, wait. I don't even know what swamp gas is. I'm curious about swamp gas. I don't want to ask because the last time you and I were curious about this, we were talking about weather balloons. And then all of a sudden, there's like an influx of like spy weather balloons in the sky. And I don't want to put anything gas related out into the universe. Oh my God. But I will be looking it up later and sending it to you secretly. So we'll get on that. So Mary and Jane are trying to explain it all to him. And he doesn't believe them. He's like, okay, I'll, you know, that's cool. You saw something weird. I don't believe you. But a little while later, he is listening to his ham radio, which is like, you know, those little radios people use for like hobbies and communications. No. And like a what? Hockey? No, not a handheld radio. H A M, a ham radio. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. And side note, it's called a ham radio because. It, there was there was a uh it was an amateur wireless station radio club at Harvard and their names were Albert Hyman, Bob Almy, and Poogie Murray. No. And at first they <laughs> okay. called their station Hyman Almy Hyman Almy Murray and they said that typing that out in like code became tiresome, so they called it Hi Almy, H H Y A L M Y, using the first two letters of their name. But then it got more confusing because their amateur wireless station and a Mexican ship. So they were H Y A L M U, and this Mexican ship was H Y A L M O. Were very confused, and so they decided to shorten it to the first letters of their last name, and it became Ham. Okay. So that's why they're, they're, called, they're called Ham Radios. You're welcome, everyone. I was so excited to learn that. I like it. So anyway, Tom J is hearing all these people being like, we saw something, we saw something, we saw something. So Tom J calls police, and he's like, hey, are you hearing any of these incidents that are happening with all these people? And he gets in the air and he asks anyone out there, he's like, have, have any of you seen anything? And he gets flooded with calls in all sections of Massachusetts and even the tip of Connecticut. And looking at the map, like I said, it looks like they're all located along the Route 7 corridor, which is where all the sightings took place. Like there's like a, almost like pinballs back and forth across that corridor. And in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, they talk about that this was the 60s, recording radio was different back then. They didn't have, like, digitized records of it. And oftentimes, to save money, they'd record over what they already did. So there's no record of all this radio Mm -hmm. airwaves. And not only that, though, there's no record in the police ledger at all of, or in the newspapers, about what happened. Yeah, and... 
some people say it was because it was a scam. People they thought it was a hoax, a hoax or a scam, and they said they're not going to report about it. I say maybe cover up because there was another in person interviewed that was the son of the chief of police, mm-hmm. and he was the child at the time, and he remembers people coming in the next day and telling his father. We saw these things in the sky, and we saw some things in the field, and they were definitely not airplanes. And his father said, I think that's a bunch of, like, BS, but I'll still look into it. And the kid, guy was like, even I, as a kid, like, went to the fields, and we never saw anything. But he's like, I remember them telling my father, as chief of police, you, should, you think there would have been something in, like, the ledgers about it. Mm-hmm. But regardless of, regardless of what happened... A lot of people like said they saw it and they say they say so more nowadays, but back in the day they didn't really talk about it that much because they didn't want to be shamed or questioned about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people said like that I think it was Tommy, the kid who got taken up into the air. He was like people didn't really hang out with me. They thought I was a weird kid because I would talk about it a lot until I got to the point people like stopped talking to me. Oh, and yeah. Nancy, the lady, she had moved to this area as, like, an escape to get, like, her idealistic life with her kids from, like, she moved from, like, New York to here. And she said, what did she, what do they say? It was, like, who is that artist? It's not, it's not Frank Lloyd. Thanks. Like, the pic, the picturesque. Oh, 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 hold on. Kincaid? Not Kincaid. The one who's, like, the family. Oh, 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 don't tell me. Hold on, hold on. Oh, my God. I see it. I see the kid at the dentist. Uh-huh. Oh, my God, Dana. This is going to kill me. Who is it? Oh. Who is it, Dana? I'm going to look it up real, right now. Hold on. Okay. Don't tell me when you find it. What is his name? What, what is it? You can't find it? No. Really? Hold on. Don't tell me. Found it. Okay, what's the first letter? Of the first name or the last name? First. N. Last name. First letter. R. Norman Rockwell. Thank you. Yes. So, he always said Nancy moved here to, because it was like her Norman Rockwell, like, existed. The, like, the picturesque, picturesque life. Like, you know, this quaint, like, quaint life. And he said after all of this happened... It turned into like a Salvador Dali like thing. Oh, like no. Yeah. He was like talking about how one guy jumped up on the counter at the diner and he's like, Do you want something out of this world? I'll show you something out of this world and like exposed himself to her. They got like followed home from school. Horrible th- like really like sh- they didn't they they weren't telling people to like get a claim. Or anything like that. They were like, oh, we shouldn't even tell anyone at all because what's happening, you know? Which makes me believe them more so. Being like, they got nothing from this. Yeah. They ended up having to move away. They sold their diner that she bought and they sold their house and moved away because she was like, she basically said, she said Nancy ended up having to sell the diner, sell her house, move away from for the safekeeping of her children in life. Mm. But... Like I said, it it was on Unsolved Mysteries since then. And as of 2015, there's actually a memorial that is set in place by the covered bridge where this all happened with Nancy and her boys to commemorate the events that happened there. 
and the UFO sighting in the Berkshires that night. And wow. that is the Berkshire UFO. I love it. I love it. Those poor people, though, because that really did have a huge impact on their life. Drama! Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, Dave, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Sharing is caring. I don't think... Would you rather... Would you rather see... Would you rather see a UFO up close or far away? Oh, either one. Like, I, I can pick. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Up close. 100%. And would you... Ooh. And if, it, if it's up close, would you rather... Would you want them to know you're there? No. No. Because just like anything else, I need time to, like, process. Mm-hmm. It takes me time to process new situations and things. So I like to have the time to process what I'm looking at before they like have the time to like process me and take you and abduct you and yeah I say no thank you near far wherever you are no thank you but near far wherever you are listeners I want to say thank you thank you for listening once again to us as we ramble our way through another amazing adventure together and the scariest scary and not so scary and mainly sad or interesting stories today that we shared with you here as sisters and friends all across the world. And please rate and review wherever you find us here today. We appreciate it more than you know. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Scary Sisters Pod. You can find us there and talk to us and chit chat. And you can email us any questions, concerns, ideas for upcoming stories. Our Gmail is scarysisters at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate and review, as I think I stated already. And until next time, Megan, stay safe and stay spooky. Megan? Love you. Bye. Bye.